Bartolo's sitting in his English language class at his high school in Pittsburgh. He's slurping a go-gurt, calling out answers, and joking with the other students as they run through grammar exercises. All right, guys, which of these sentences is written correctly? Bartolo, read the very top. A pronoun. Read it, read it. Put those goggles on there. He's doing pretty well now. But three years ago, Bartolo didn't even speak Spanish, let alone English. He spoke Chu, the indigenous language spoken in San Mateo Ixitan, the poor rural town in northern Guatemala where he's from. Growing up, he worked in the fields alongside his father, occasionally selling items in market, helping to support his parents and siblings. It's a small town, and we're workers, so we don't have a lot of money. That's why lots of people there left. They'd go to the U.S., work, and send money back. And so with a bag on his back, Bartolo started the long trek north. I wanted to come here because there isn't any money there. I couldn't get any money. That's why I came here. He was 16 when he crossed the border in Texas in late 2013. He'd been traveling for months. I came through the desert. I wanted to come here, but yes, there are those folks who say that people die in the desert or they get caught. So I was scared. Bartolo was detained as soon as he reached the U.S. What happened next is a controversial practice that's been in place for years. After a few weeks, immigration officials placed him with a cousin, who was also an undocumented immigrant. He agreed to be Bartolo's sponsor while the teenager awaited removal proceedings. Also named Bartolo, his cousin was in his 20s and lived in a suburb outside Pittsburgh. He worked at a Chinese restaurant. Mi primo, él trabaja allá. My cousin worked there, and I joined up with him, and he took me to work. They lived in a house managed by the owners of the restaurant. Joyce Gallagher Ramirez is an immigration lawyer who has seen many of these setups over the past two decades. You know, the owners or the managers of the restaurants will rent a house or an apartment, and there's usually quite a few people living together in the house. In this case, it was about a dozen men. He said it wasn't that bad. But others who saw the house said it was kind of rough. Grace Mueller, who worked with local immigrants, says some men slept on lawn chairs, others on camping cots. She got to know Bartolo and his cousin. She says they lived in the unfinished basement. And then in Bartolo and Bartolo's room, it was just kind of like a mattress. I don't know if there are even sheets on it. Immigration experts see these kinds of arrangements as a form of trafficking. But to Bartolo and his cousin, it seemed good. They didn't pay rent and kept whatever they earned. And they were happy with that because that was a lot more money than they were making in Guatemala. And they could eat whatever Chinese food that they could get left over at the Chinese restaurant. So for them, they thought it was like a pretty good deal. Yeah, and then I learned everything, like how to cook. And yeah, it was fine. They treated me fine and nothing was bad. Bartolo made way under minimum wage and worked 12-hour days, six days a week. Once a week, he sent $100 to his family. In Guatemala, that money went far. People need the jobs and the employers need the employees. That's attorney Joyce Gallagher Ramirez again. It's not a good situation for either side, but that's how it's been for years. And even though there's been a massive increase in the number of unaccompanied minors, just over 38,000 the year Bartolo came and nearly 60,000 last year, these kids coming here isn't anything new. I mean, my husband came here when he was 15 from Mexico and did the exact thing. You know, that, that it's like I said, it's almost like a rite of passage. The boys just kind of grow up learning or believing or coming to know that at some point, for the most part, it's going to be their turn to go to the United States. 
to work to support their families. Like his cousin and many others, odds were Bartolo was just going to work and send money home for the foreseeable future. It wasn't clear when he would hear from immigration authorities again. There was a backlog of unaccompanied minors cases. He didn't know if he would get sent home or turn 18 and become an adult here. And then one morning, about a year after Bartolo had first arrived in the U.S., Grace Mueller got an alarming text. Younger Bartolo had some sort of growth or bubble on his back. And I was like, listen, that's I, I'm not there. And I, I don't know anything about back bubbles or growths. And you need to see a doctor about that. It was the kind of moment every undocumented immigrant dreads when you can't avoid coming face to face with the system. The Bartolos went to the hospital and it was a good thing they did, as we'll hear tomorrow in part two of our story. It was 2014, and Grace Mueller was working at Casa San Jose, a local nonprofit that helps new immigrants. She was mostly assisting teenagers who had crossed the border on their own. Those kids needed everything. They came with just, like, no clothes. The houses they were staying in had no food. A lot of the times the people they were staying with were, like, vaguely related to them. Bartolo was one of those kids. The two formed an unlikely friendship. Bartolo is a very special kid. He's very special to me, and he's also just a special kid. He's very sweet. He will check in with me out of the blue. How's your day? Are you at work today? I'm like, yes, it's Monday, so I am at work today. He confided in her right from the start. Bartolo told her how he was surviving, working at a Chinese restaurant and living in a house with his cousin and about a dozen other men. Grace helped Bartolo out with all kinds of things. But then one day, she got an alarming text. He had what he called a bubble on his back. This just kept growing, uh, first a little, uh, so I thought it was just an allergy. But then it kept growing, and I didn't know what was happening to me. And I was like, listen, that's I, I'm not there, and I, I don't know anything about back bubbles or growths, and you need to see a doctor about that. Bartolo listened to her. With his cousin, he went to the hospital to find out what was wrong. It turned out a lot was. The bubbles were related to Pott's disease or spinal tuberculosis. He had a potentially fatal heart murmur and he needed glasses. At 5'3", he weighed just 90 pounds. Hospital staff wrote in his records that he was possibly malnourished. But getting treated was tricky. He was a minor, and even though the U.S. government had placed him with his cousin when he entered the country, his cousin wasn't actually his legal custodian. No one was. So here he was, a kid who's maybe 16, and he can't sign the papers. He can't make an informed decision about his own health care, but no one else could either. Mueller realized that for this scenario, there wasn't an obvious solution. No one seemed to know what to do to handle a kid that doesn't have health insurance, that doesn't speak English, and needed a lot of follow-up care. It was a case for the courts. I'm Judge Eleanor Bush. I'm a judge of the Allegheny County Court of Common Pleas assigned to our family division. Bush isn't an immigration judge, but she ends up handling juvenile migrant cases because there isn't anywhere else for these kids to go. Judges like her can rule on custody issues and they can make recommendations to the federal government. In Bartolo's case, she recommended he petitioned for special immigrant juvenile status. That category, special immigrant juvenile, applies to children who have been abused, neglected, or abandoned by one or both parents. And that abuse could have happened in the country that the child came from, 
or it could be something that happened here. Bartolo had never seen a doctor before arriving in the United States. That was normal back home, where the closest doctor was five hours away. But here, that could be considered neglect. I am a state court judge in the state of Pennsylvania, so I need to apply Pennsylvania law to the situations that I see. But because he was a minor, Bartolo's parents still needed to be involved, even from Guatemala, which meant calling them and overcoming a language barrier. I speak another language. It's called Chu. Bartolo's parents don't speak Spanish. They speak an indigenous language, Chu. Even with a translator, there aren't words in Chu that translate to the words they were hearing from Judge Bush. I do find it very challenging to explain to them, here's where we are, I'm in a court, do you know what a court is? You have a right to a lawyer, do you know what a lawyer is? But they got through the conversations. In the end, the court placed him in an orphanage. As a ward of a state, he was entitled to medical care. And perhaps most important, he was granted the special immigrant juvenile status the judge had recommended him for. He's probably the only case um, that I can recall with these unaccompanied minors cases that's really turning on a medical problem, a medical issue. This is attorney Joyce Gallagher Ramirez, who represented Bartolo. And for sure, if, if his situation hadn't been detected and, and, you know, treated, and he was sent back to Guatemala, he would have died. I mean, that, there's just no two ways about that. The people around him, they all say the same thing. Him being so sick ended up being kind of lucky because it eventually got him approved for this immigration status. And that got him a work permit and a social security number and allowed him to apply for a coveted green card. That was two years ago. Today, Grace Mueller, the woman who kind of saved Bartolo's life by sending him to the hospital, is still a big part of it. I wouldn't call it a friendship. I'm an adult woman and this is a teenager. But um, I don't know. I wouldn't even want to call it a mentorship. But I care a lot about him and I still try and spend a lot of time with him. Once a month, she takes him out for breakfast. She asks about the cousin he lived with when he first came here. He since returned to Guatemala. They talk music, telenovelas, and weekend plans. Muller tells Bartolo she came home from work last night, man started watching Netflix, and never got around to dinner. Bartolo says that happens to him all the time when he likes a movie. <laughs> After breakfast, Muller will drop Bartolo off at his new foster home. It's been a big adjustment. We'll hear about that tomorrow in the next chapter of the story. Once a week, Monica Ruiz buys an international calling card for her foster son, Bartolo. He uses it to call his family back home in Guatemala. Today, Bartolo talks to his mother and gets updates on his siblings. But when he hangs up, he's here. Every kind of distance from the poor, rural Guatemalan town where he spent the first 15 years of his life. Distant from the dusty journey he took through Mexico to cross the border into the U.S. And distant from the flop house where he lived when he first came to Pittsburgh. Here is Monica's house, a comfortable home in a suburban part of the city where the pantry is always stuffed with food and he has everything he could possibly want. He's like one of my other kids. Anything he needs, anything he wants. I need this. I need that. You know, I'm going here. I'm going there. I'm used to them. They're my family. They take care of me like a son. 
And settling in has meant some growing pains, as Bartolo has relearned how to be a kid, and Monica has learned how to parent someone like him. A few years ago, Monica and her husband had signed up to foster unaccompanied kids coming from Central America. First was a four-year-old. She was quickly reunited with her family. Then they got Bartolo. He was 17, but had been on his own for a while, but was still a kid who enjoys things like this, an outing to the zoo. I want to pick them up. Okay, get in there. Uno, dos, tres, tres. Bartolo's here with his foster family and two friends. The friends are in a similar situation. They came to the U.S. by themselves as teenagers and are now living with foster families while their immigration status is resolved. The boys have formed a strong friendship. Back in Guatemala, the three boys maybe never would have met. They're from different parts of the country. But here, it feels like only each other understands where they're from and what they're going through. As the boys scroll through their phones talking about girls, Monica supplies them with snacks and teases them. (laughs) She gets it. She's Latina, and her husband, at 17, he came to the U.S. from Mexico on his own, just like Bartolo came from Guatemala at 16. These boys, they act so different now than when she first met them. Then, they were more men than boys because of all they'd gone through. Right now, they just have an opportunity to be teenagers, and they've never been teenagers because they've had so many adult responsibilities for so long that this is an experience that they've never had, and it takes them a while to adjust to it. She says their lives are so different now. Not having to work all day, every day, getting to stay at home, play video games, go to the mall, go to see a game, go swimming, go to the park, what we take for granted. But while it makes Monica happy to see Bartolo be a kid, his Guatemalan family still expects him to work and send money home. After all, that's why he left. For a while, because of his health and legal issues in school, he couldn't really work. And as it turns out, he kind of likes this life. Here, I want to have everything. I want to buy a house, a car, and all of that. And Guatemala? Well, I'm, I'm forgetting that. But my family lives there, so that's where my heart still is. As she makes dinner, Monica says when he first moved in, Bartolo never asked for anything. Now, his tastes have changed. He's getting a little bit too big for his britches, and he's wanting really expensive things. And I'm like, I mean, we're not wealthy, and I don't believe in spending $140 on Even if I was wealthy. And at the same time, she wants him to want those things and to do better for himself. I want him to be successful here. You know, I don't want him just to get by. I want him to really become, he's very smart and he's very, he can go really, really far, right? So just like I push my other kids, I push him too. Okay, that's great, but now what's the next thing? How can we do more? His family back home still wants him to work, but they're starting to understand that he also needs to be in school. Yeah, of course, because with papers I'll get a better job and they'll pay me more and just everything will be better. On a summer night, Bartolo's celebrating his one-year anniversary at Monica's. There's a lot to be happy about. Not only does he have a loving U.S. family, but he has papers now, too. Work permit, social security card, and one day soon, he should have a green card in his wallet. Friends show up. Among them, one of the boys from the zoo. Hi, this is Sam. 
It's also his 19th birthday. Happy No, English or Spanish? What do you want? As the boys hang out in the living room, Monica's friends talk with her in the kitchen. I like how he's dressed up with his boots and everything. Very cute. He's come a long way from that day in 2013 when he crossed the border as an unaccompanied minor. But the political climate is changing fast. Bartolo admits he feels vulnerable under the Trump administration. And he can't help wondering what life will be like for kids like him trying to cross the border today. For The World, Erica Barris, Pittsburgh.